All right, here we are. Today in Trades, I'm Jim Evans, brought to you by BidClips. We have a really exciting guest with us today. Um, I didn't even know that she and they existed um, until I was at a trade show, Texpo, earlier this year. And I was walking through the, the show, just kind of meeting vendors and seeing what is out there. And I saw this giant sign that said, quit getting screwed. And I was like, what is that about? You know, I'm like, I, I've been screwed before in business. You know, I, I wonder what this is about. So I walked over to the booth and we met um, two lovely individuals and um, they are with Quit Getting Screwed. Here's the book right here if you're watching on YouTube. Um, it is actually a branch. We're going to talk about a little bit of the Subcontractor Institute. And it's basically um, a really progressive attorney. I know a lot of you are, don't, don't turn it off now. This is a good attorney. This is someone we want to talk to. Um, Carolyn Cromines and her organization. It's a fantastic book. If you're a contractor, a subcontractor, and you work in the trades, this should be in your van. It should be at your desk. Um, they had a big sign and I walked over and, I, and I, I started talking with them and they're doing some really fascinating stuff. So this episode is going to be all about Carolyn. And I'm going to ask the questions that all of us on this podcast are thinking, and that is, how do we stop getting screwed on some of these deals when we're working with contractors? How do we be better subcontractors by also knowing what we're doing? And how does that relationship just make for better business? And at the end of the day, happier customers and better relationships. So Carolyn, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks for that great intro. <laughs> it's true. I love what you guys are up to. Um, at first, you know, we get guests and I think, oh, okay, sure, they've written a book. I'll go check it out. And as I dove into the Subcontractor Institute, as I started going, I ordered your book right away. You really do a good job in the table of contents, starting to lay out just the process that so many of us never learn. So I want you to talk about why did you create, why did you write the book? Why are you creating this? What is the Subcontractor Institute? Give us the, the how this all came about. Well, I've been representing subcontractors for years and um, I grew up with subcontractors. So they really have a special place in my heart as somebody that these, you know, is really good at what they do, but they don't understand the legal side. And they think that there's nothing, they can't sign anything bad, that there's a set of rules that will protect them. And sometimes like in my legal career, I would get invested in a client and he would do everything right, but the contract would be wrong. And then we lose at the end of the day. And specifically in, in January of 20, I had a trial. I had a great client and he couldn't afford, like halfway through the case, he couldn't afford to pay me. And so I just kept working because I believed in this cause so much. And he did, he did a good job on the job. There was issues with the payments not being paid on time and, and some things that he didn't do in accordance with the contract. And we took it all the way to trial and he got his ass kicked. And not because he did anything wrong, but because of the contract he signed. And so I was just so mad at being at this position again, that I have a contractor who's doing the job right, who's doing everything right, but he didn't do all the little things that he knew he was supposed to do in the contract. So he lost. And so I was just mad. And so that's what it came out as like, I mean, they went out of business, right? That was it. Gosh. And so I didn't want that to happen to somebody else. And I realized at that point in time that coming in after they signed, after you signed the contract, there wasn't anything I could do. And so I really needed to, because nobody was saying it, nobody's out here saying that these subcontracts are so one-sided and, so, and then everybody's just signing them to go to work and it's fine if everything goes great. If not, they're gonna cram those provisions down your throat. And that's what I, I see over and over and over again. And just nobody knows 
they don't know, you know, they're not written in a way you can understand them, even if you do take the time to read them. I mean, and then they say the same things over and over again. And it's just so far from, I think, you know, where construction is supposed to be. And somebody needs to say something. That is, uh, first of all, thank you. Um, as a small business owner for years, um, I worked with con- big contractors. And what's also funny is those contracts, even sometimes they just pass them down because that's what they have. And I'm very lucky, you know, I, I've never been sued. I, I, w- I was able to kind of navigate it. But A, you're usually too tired to read all the fine print. You're excited you won the job. You're working on the relationship. You're trying to do the best you can. And I think a lot of us would love to have someone look it over with us, would love to help us prepare better. But, you know, like most things, and the reason we have this podcast today in trades is to educate that you don't have to go spend thousands and thousands of dollars. Like I said at the beginning, you know, not all, you know, attorneys are only hard to, to deal with when you're in deep crap, you know, when you're in trouble. I think what's so cool about what Carolyn's doing with what the Subcontractor Institute is doing is it's giving us the tools to go do it to feed ourselves, to be able to take care of it. And sure, if you're able to prepare that, it certainly makes Carolyn and other attorney's jobs a lot easier if we end up having to take it to a trial. And most of us on this call, you're not really in the trades if you haven't gotten into some sketchy situations where you have to navigate both relationships, scope of work, quality, you know? And so I really want this episode to be a great takeaway for all of you on what are the common mistakes that we all make that Carolyn sees all the time she's trying to solve in this. So that's my first question. What are the, you know, the top three or five, what are the things you see that makes you just want to face palm that we all do that you would first educate? A first one is bid and scope, right? Everybody thinks they're hired to do their bid. And so when I come into my office and they say, I didn't agree, I didn't bid this work. Why are they saying I have to do it? And I'm like, yeah, but the scope you signed to the uh, to catch the contract, it, it says you'll do it. And people, don't understand that they put their bid out there, but when they sign the contract, that bid goes away and it no longer describes the work that you're hired to do, unless you sign off on that bid as being your contract, it doesn't come in anymore. And so at the very least, there's going to be some minor changes from the time when you bid the job to the stuff that's attached to the contract. And so really, really review that scope as if you were looking at a new bid to make sure that they match. And if not, don't sign the contract on a word that, oh, we'll fix it later. No, get, get the thing revised and say, hey, I can't sign this until it's right. And, you know, yeah. any exclusions, uh, because if it's not in writing, it doesn't matter. And so it, this, the fact that they told you they were gonna change it down the line doesn't help you. And so really get, we're gonna be clear about the agreement. Let's be clear and let's have it. So that's the first one. Um, so, bid, second- so bid and scope. And I wanna ask you a few questions on the first one. So. Uh, being somebody who's been an estimator most of my life, and obviously it's no surprise, this podcast is brought to you by bid clips, bid clips, using pictures, videos, data points to bid jobs better so that you can have a stronger scope. Customers don't feel like they were deceived because they know what you bid. Now, many of our clients um, are humongous that listen to this show. And to you, you know, your bids are very detailed. They're very long. They're even outside sometimes of what the big clips scope does. But a lot of us are smaller. We're subcontractors. Our bid will scope from 10,000 to to 50,000, you know, somewhere in there. And for us, um, you know, I want to talk about that a little bit because when I'm doing coaching with bids, I often tell people it's the first impression. And it, and it needs to leave you a little bit of room. And that is just not to waste your time, waste the customer's time. How many of our clients say, 
I just want to know how much the bathroom remodel will be or how much the window package is going to be. And then we'll talk about a scope. So what, what's important to know for those of us listening that are big clips users in your terms and agreements inside your program, when the customer accepts that bid, your verbiage in there, your contract should be professional. You should have a nice written contract that says, this is a bid. The scope of work will be delivered at time of final order, subject to change and work some of those things out. And if you need that help, please reach out to Carolyn and the team and, and hire that so that when you, every time a customer hits reserve in the program, you're covered. So that's my little plug on that side. But I want to talk about the, bid, the difference between bid and scope. You, you just said it, but where are some of the areas that people, um, real specifically, that people will miss um, between bid and scope. And when you go back to scope, can you, should you use parts of the bid or should you almost go completely over as an acceptance of the final offer? How, how would you tell a medium-sized company to navigate that? And, and the, the most thing that, that I see in, the, in that type of situation is the, the, just being as clear as possible because the owner, the, the property owner, whoever's hiring you does not know, right? There might be assumptions that they assume that things are included when they're not. And so what I tell my clients in this situation, explain what you're hired to do, like you were trying to explain it to a jury. Because at the end of the day, if this thing goes south, that's what you're going to have to do. And so, yes, this is what we said initially, but then, then it changed after a couple of conversations that changed. And here it is. Here's our final agreement. So whatever okay. it takes for you to clearly explain to them, manage their expectations on what's included, what's not, you know, what happens if we dig into this remodel and there's, you know, rotten boards. Obviously, that's going to be an additional charge. We need to, right. we need to tell them, I can't see, I don't have x-ray vision, that this is a possibility. Because if you tell them on the front end that it's a possibility, then it, they're not, they don't get pissed when it actually happens. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because they're, they're going to use the expert. They're being like, okay, you know everything. There's not going to be anything unexpected. And we all know that that's not true. And I want to share a little tip that's taken me 20 years of pulling my foot out of my mouth to learn. And if any of you on this call are learning or just getting into this business as an estimator, under promise and freaking over deliver. And also don't scare people away with your bid. Don't go in there and say, oh my gosh, I don't know if it's rotten. I don't know. It's a people, they just, they don't really want to know. It's better to say, hey, Carolyn, we're looking at somewhere between, I hope you're sitting down 3,000 and 4,000 worst case scenario. I have that in the bid for you. I covered as much bases as I can see without digging around and really getting my hands on this project. Um, I'm going to do everything I can to save you money. And for Pete's sake, everyone listening, save them money. If I come in and I, and I do it for 2,500, Carolyn's telling every single neighbor how great I was and how great the experience was. And if a waiter tells you 15 minutes, we all know, and, you, and it's 20, you're going to hear about it. But if it's 14, you're the best restaurant in town. So please take that home. I love what Carolyn just said. Think about worst case scenario. Now, the bid is a blurry vision of what we're going to do. Your scope of work is your final. This is acceptance. A lot of our listeners are shower door installers, okay? For your contractors and then your contractors, we all know, don't share it with the customer. So in, in that scope of work, it's important to put, there'll be a quarter inch tolerance. You know, things are subject to change without backing design may not be able to be executed. You have to just be careful to watch that stuff. So very good, Carolyn, this is so important. And then the second point I heard from you is good fences create good neighbors. And it, I think um, I've never owned a large contracting company. Thank God I'd have way more gray hair and probably not be as happy about life, but hats off to all of you that are doing it. Um, 
I believe that, you know, I know when my, when people that work for us, we have subs too. We use trim carpenters, et cetera, when we do a window package. When they're detailed with me, I appreciate them. It creates a good relationship. When we make a nice negotiation, we have clean fences. We know who's responsible for what. We have a much better relationship. And that's true in you know, marriage and life. When you just have good boundaries and you have good communication, that's all your contracts need to be. So don't be afraid any longer of legalese on your bid and your scope. If you want more, hop over to Big Clips, hop to the Subcontractor Institute. Please check that out. So I want to keep this train going down the tracks. I know there's more than that, and we don't always get to talk to an attorney for free. So um, I know, Carolyn, what's, what would be the second thing that you think um, gets uh, people tripped up? Change orders. Change orders. Oh, wait, who, someone either. does change orders? You mean yeah, exactly. things change in a, in a project? <laughs> you know, like I did all this extra work outside the scope, but I didn't ask for permission. I didn't get it approved. Yeah, I'm like, people always sorry, have, get paid. People always have more money too, right? I mean, it's yeah, like, yeah, exactly. they're, they're never mad about a change order. Let's talk about that because that is, so, I, I had I had chills when you said change orders. That's, that's something <laughs> that just, oh, it's like a, a blessing and a curse. No, I know. And the, and the main thing is, is like when you write a contract or when you write, a, especially for a homeowner, you want the whole thing to be, in plain English so we can understand each other. And especially when it comes to change orders. And so like when I'm doing like a residential remodel contract, I'm gonna put like, hey, I'm good at what I do. I can't see everything. There may be issues. And here's the process when that happens. I'm gonna let you know about the issue that I found. I'm gonna let you know outside what we originally agreed to do. And here are a couple options. And then in, in also in the change order provision, we're gonna do, I'm gonna tell you it's cost plus 10%, cost plus 15%. That way we don't have to fight about how much is that change order going to be? They're going to know, you know, and here's all the different ways we can do it. And if there's not any, you know, if there's only one way, we're going to talk about that one way. I'm going to tell you what it is before I do the work. That's the big thing is that we tell them up front that, you know, I hope there's not any changes, but there could always be. And here's how we're going to handle it. And so, and here's the price tag on it. And we're going to, you know, we're going to have a conversation that this has to be done before I can do anything else. But the main thing is to don't, don't just do it and expect that they know it's going to be extra and that you'll get paid at the end because they're going to be completely caught off guard. And that's important again for the contractor that it's very clear, very plain so that they can share it with their client. Because oftentimes the communication is like the telephone game we played in junior high. And remember, whatever you wrote down or put in an email, and again, I don't mean to be plug big clips, but that's one nice thing about our customer messages, all being in the same spot, is you can see everything that was said, every agreement that was made. And by using one area, you're not digging for emails, you're not digging for texts when things hit the fan. And so it's important to use programs like BidClips, et cetera, to keep everything organized, to have everything communicated. Um, really good point. Um, very good. Very good. Um, let's move to, um, to oh, what was I going to ask you? Oh, I know that you can't give business advice or you probably shouldn't because you're really good at what you do, but um, is there a way you can like make it too ridiculous on a change order where you can get yourself in trouble? Like if I do, if I'm just, if I have a kind of a toxic job I'm walking into, I'm worried there's going to be a bunch of them, which nothing hurts our businesses more than change orders. Yeah. They can make some of us some money. What's a reasonable amount? Is there anything that could be seen as illegal? Like if I say um, it'll be cost plus 50% when maybe my actual original was 20%. I mean, is there anything to get you in trouble there? And, and I guess um, it's not on us if they sign it, right? I mean, um, how do we navigate that space? Because I know some of us just hate change orders and we want to avoid them and contractually try to avoid them that way as well. Yeah, and um, I would just, it's whatever the customer's willing to agree to, right? Whatever your customer, whatever you feel is fair. And there may be some customers that give you that vibe that it's going to be more. And so you add more. And it's, that's the thing is it's always, it's flexible. 
on what, you know, I don't, I don't think you can change order a job to death as long as you're up front about right. you know, okay. before you do the work, you can't do the work and then ask for a change order. That's um, right. And, and so, yeah, just be honest about it. And like I said, whatever the client's willing to agree to you, that's what, that's what it could be. Very good. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And then when you do a change order, um, documentation, you know, everybody just make sure you documented it was a change order, get a signature and make sure that that's, uh, that's filed. So very good. All right. Now what else gets us tripped up? I have a, a one uh, that I want to get to at the end that I think is important. I and mean, you might hit it early. So what's, what's another thing that we make face Paul moments? Schedules. And what's a, what's a schedule? You mean do yeah, things when we're supposed whether, to, whether we're, it's in we're the busy, commercial Carolina. side or on the residential side, on the commercial side, when you sign a subcontract that has a schedule, it's important that you make sure it's something you can do because there, if you don't finish on time, you open yourself up to liquidated damages. That's a per uh, day charge for each day you don't finish on time. Wow. So, and that, and that kind of rolls in with change orders too. If you, if you get a change order that's going to extend your time, make sure that time is also put in the change order. Everybody just assumes, well, they should know what it's going to take you longer. No, and no. They, even if they do, if it's not in writing, it doesn't matter. So it'll be done by 2025. Cool. We'll just have it done. We've got going to do five years. We're just going to put that in there and slip that in and see what they say. But this is really important. I don't think a lot of us, I didn't know until I read your book. I didn't know that they actually can bust you for not being on time. Luckily, because thanks to my father, my grandfather, and my business mentors, I learned early on to give yourself enough space for worst case scenario. I just had that happen with the COVID supply chain problem. I yeah. told a customer three extra weeks and guess what? There was a back order. Thank God, I'm still going to be up against the last three days. Yeah. And if I had told that client two weeks, like I normally did, they would be so frustrated. And even though it wasn't my fault. And now if you're on a big contract and now you're paying liquidated damages and you're trying to get that from your vendor, good luck. So very, um, very good, obviously within reason, you know, but um, I think that's important. I don't know if a lot of us know that happens, but I'd hate to find out the hard way. No. And on the residential side, I mean, that's expectations, right? The difference between having a happy client and not, you know, go long, you know, you finish early, you're the hero, you finish late, you're the zero. I mean, come on. You know, and so yeah. you know, just managing, if you like, I said managing their expectations of because they have an idea in their head of when it should be done. I'm not saying it's yeah. reasonable. I'm not saying it's based on any fact, but they definitely have an idea. And if you're not within that idea, if you don't spell it out what it is, they're not going to be happy with you know at least the bad reviews and all kinds of things. So yeah, very good. And I, and I've learned the hard way. If you don't ask customers questions, you can't assume. And just because you tell them things, you know, I'm a talker, they don't hear you. They'll be on Instagram. Ask them, what are your expectations for this project? Start there. They might say, well, geez, I'd just like to have it done in two months. And you were thinking two weeks. Yeah, but if you yeah. go in and you're like, I think I could have it done in, in nine days. As soon as you say that, it's like telling your daughter, we're going to Dairy Queen later <laughs> at 3 p.m. You have just set it's yourself up. You are MacGyver now, the ticking time mom that you put on yourself. So I love that under promise, but just ask questions to your customers and say, when are you hoping to have it done? And sometimes their expectation, are, you you create it. So I, I think that's really smart and very good. So what else? What else just makes you be like, oh my gosh, come on, pull it together. <laughs> um, well, on on most commercial contracts, the termination, the default termination provisions, okay? okay? What a default is, is when you're not doing something that you promised to do in the contract, whether that's on the commercial side or the residential side. And so most contracts say you get a time to cure. So you're in default, somebody points it out, they send you you know, an email, a text saying, hey, you're not doing this. That is a notice of default. It doesn't have to be sent by a lawyer. And so you need to respond to that right away to have the 
the timeline of events. And especially on the residential side too, if you get into dispute and having it all in one place is great. They're saying, you're, you know, you said you'd be done at this date. You're not, you're in breach of the contract. Well, here's my, here's what's going on. A well thought out plan to document all of that. Mm-hmm. So, but if you don't fix the default, then it can lead to termination. And I think another big misconception is, well, if I get terminated, I just won't get paid and that'll be it and I'll be done. No, what can happen is when you're terminated, you promise that client to finish that scope of work for that price. If they have to go hire somebody else to finish that scope of work and it costs them more, you're now on the hook for that more. No way. Yes. Wow. And so that is something before you before you walk away from a job or, or are terminated that you really need to think about more so on the commercial side, because the numbers get bigger, but still on the residential side. I mean, I talked to, uh, in Texas, we have a process on a residential defect that you have to go through before you can sue a contractor. But one of the big things is, is that they get a chance to come out and fix it. And if they don't, they're on the hook for the difference. Jeez. That can be real, co- that can be real costly because to another con- to another con- a subcontractor, that's kind of like a change order, you know, last minute jump to another job to fix someone that's not going to be usually bid well. And uh, what a, what an unforeseen costly error. See everybody, look how much advice we're getting by just listening to this podcast. And I'm telling you again, go to Amazon, buy the book. It's a very inexpensive tool to have at your desk. And she did it. She wrote it so that all of us can understand it. It's like easy to read, bullet points, um, table of contents. And so and, please, and that's my thing is that I want you to know all, this, all these things are in there and what they actually mean and what yeah. they mean in real life and, and the examples of how they play out in contractors, you know, everyday business. And the Subcontractor Institute is easy to sign up. I went and signed up um, and it's nice because it's one of those things where you can continue to go through it. You also can plug through it as you're starting a project. And I just think it's important for anyone in the trades to, to be part of that. So please go go visit both of those. You'll see the links down on YouTube below. Obviously, you can reach out to either of us for more of that. Um, all right. So we have bid and scope. We just went through change orders. Um, I learned a lot about two big traps there. And now we've just talked about um, schedules and termination and default. What's the what's an, what's another item that really just um, can can unknowingly trip us up? Um, let's see here. Well, I kind of want to bring in, and I know it's not in the contract part, but it's another project that I'm working on because I think it's so important. Is the collection side, whether oh. you're on commercial or residential. Um, yes, you sign a contract and you go to work, but you deserve to be paid. And I just want to point out that every state has lien rights and you didn't know what your states are, especially if there's a difference between residential and commercial. Mm-hmm. And no matter what, follow those timelines because uh-huh. that, that that's a huge thing that I see that contractors aren't informed of. Like if you, you get a deposit, you're going to be paid on completion. You pay, you get, you complete, you don't get paid. What are your rights? And a lien is so much more than you could have when just as just a breach of contract. It gives you an interest in the property that they own and it, it's way more teeth. And I think it's, I don't think enough people use it to their advantage. Okay. So I really think that's another, another part of this whole thing, you know, knowing your contract, being clear, but also making sure you get paid because at the end of the day, that's how you run a successful business. So you mean it's not like dumb and dumber where I can just be like, this is an IOU. 
for, <laughs> for one million dollars. That Lamborghini, I just yeah, might want to yeah. hang on to that one. You might want to hang on to this one. I feel like that's our business sometimes, because also for residential side, and I'm not as familiar with commercial. I did two commercial projects and said I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> but on the residential side, it is important because usually the contractors are friends with us. We go to beers with them, dinner. I, I go, I travel with some of my contractor friends. It's easy to be like, oh, we'll we'll square it all up, and sometimes they get they get screwed and they didn't, they, then they've got to figure out a way to pass that down and work as a team. And so it really works across the board. It's important. So um, there are technologies, everybody. I don't care if you use big clips or not. I would love for you to, but go collect that deposit easier, especially on the residential side, make it easy for people to give you money. Cause that is an actual commitment. Sometimes people are like, yeah, I want to get it done. I've heard this so many times. Then we get out there and the spouse or the partner had already hired another company. And then you're awkwardly sitting there and one spouse likes you, the other one likes the other one. But as soon as someone puts money in, they do two things. They read the bid <laughs> they've, or they've read it because they're going to put a thousand, two thousand, ten thousand down. They are, they've probably accepted what you've done. And that's a just good sign of faith. Um, and then the second thing is it's just it's cash flow, which is important, but it's just get in the game. And that happened with my dad a few weeks ago, you know, he had a plumber and, and he's like, I don't, I'm just worried he's going to take the money and not finish. I'm like, well, he's not showing up. So maybe if we pay him, he might show up better. <laughs> and the guy ended up taking forever anyways. He's a good friend of ours, you know, but it was, and I, I, but cash moves the needle sometimes. So first of all, make it easy for people to pay you. Second of all, take Carolyn's advice. Make sure you know the lien uh, rules in your state, know the timelines. That's huge. Sometimes you don't realize we've had our heads down that a month has passed. And if you miss it and, you know, that would be a terrible feeling to do great work and then just have to write it off, you know, and most of us don't need more write-offs. So okay. let's the get your money. I, I see is that people are afraid to ask for payment. And, oh my gosh. And if, and if you don't ask, you won't get paid. And, and sometimes you're not getting paid just because you, you didn't ask, you know, and, yeah. and especially if you have your payment structure as like completion, like this level's complete. So I need this payment. I promise you, they don't realize that you're at that level and you need payment. So you need oh my gosh, yeah. And, and, and then they'll review and be like, oh yeah, I see that that's done. I'll give you a payment. But don't think that their brain is seeing the same thing that you're seeing because they're, they're not. They're, they expect that you're going to ask whenever you're ready. If, if you don't ask, you're not going to get paid most likely. I'll go as far as to say most good accountants don't pay till they see something because that's just, that's good money management. And I, I mean, I would encourage that. So you have to send those bills. And, and again, in big clips, you send a link, we need more payment. You know, we need to accept more. And so it's really important and very good, very good point. I also and, and think that being said, and having those payment terms clearly spelled out in yeah. your contract. Yep. You know, are we doing this? Is it a long project? Are we going to get paid every month? Are we going to get paid upon level of completion? Whatever it is that works for your company, put it in there and say, this is when I'm going to expect payment. And this is how it's going to work. You know, when I reach this level, I'm going to send you an invoice and then you're going to, I'll send you the link and then you're going to pay. And then you just yeah. upfront that, Hey, if I don't get paid within 10 days, I got to stop work. Absolutely. Be disciplined. And, and really what it comes down to, and this is just for coaching for all of you listening, it's, it's know your numbers. Don't, don't end up with receipts in your van. I know we get busy, but we see so many, I have so many dear clients that go out of business because they get bloated. They're not starving. They're bloated. Your indigestion kills companies, not starvation. So know your numbers, know your contract, be disciplined, you know, and if anything, make sure you hire a bookkeeper an accountant, hire someone to, to be that person for you. So very good, Carolyn. That's, that's fantastic. So, I mean, and just in a business sense, if you it's hard to be the salesman and the collector. So if there's somebody in your office that can do the actual collection phone calls, whatever, yeah. it breaks it up and makes it easier. So I've done both and it doesn't work very well. Good cop, bad cop. It's important exactly. in, in businesses. And so 
Good. Um, I'm going to bring mine in here that I thought was interesting because I've done this many times and I didn't even think about it. The personal guarantee, right. whether geez, it's a, even at the bank and stuff. Sometimes I'm just like, sure, no problem. I just sign off on the little line. Um, build yourself business credit, you know, um, and I, that's a whole nother podcast episode we can do, but that's part of it. But when, when it comes to these personal guarantees on these projects, Carolyn, let's talk about how those can get people tripped up, especially yeah, I mean, smaller there's some, people. There's some situations like if you have a credit card or if you're getting a line of credit that you're going to have to sign a personal guarantee, right? but a, like a construction contract is not one of those things, especially. So a personal guarantee really only matters if you have a company. Your company does business, which is the way you should be set up. So if you don't have a company, you need a company because if not, everything you sign is a personal guarantee anyways. So get a company and that company protects you and your individual assets and your individual home and everything from the business that your company does. And when you sign a personal guarantee, even if you have a company, you're waiving that protection. So it no longer exists. So like you sign a subcontract and you, and the term, and you get terminated and there's an overage, not only can they come after the company for failing to work and come after you individually. And so it's just really waiving any protection you get from a corporation or from being an entity at all. And that there in some situations you have to do it, buying house, buying equipment. Yes, right. those things, but not in, and not in a transaction where you're a subcontractor. It just, it doesn't, or even on a residential remodel, I've seen, you know, residential remodel, residential rebuilds with a personal guarantee that you're hiring my company, my company's going to do the work. If they're asking you to sign a personal guarantee, you want somebody else to take that project. You don't want it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And I, it was good to differentiate the two. Because I first saw it, my brain always goes to the things we consume. But how often do we just sign a contract that that's laced in there and we didn't read it and take the time? And I'd hate for us to be stuck with that. You know, and, and especially if you see, um, you know, um, especially when you see projects go south, you know, and my heart goes out to all the families in Miami for the building collapsing and things happen. And sometimes we just think we're invincible or a dry rotted wall falls in or, or things come out of hinges, things happen. And we have to protect ourselves to make sure that we're doing the best we can. And all of, and most, all of our listeners, most people that are going to take the time to care about us or subcontract Institute, most of you are doing a great job out there. And so knowing your heart is good, which I hope it is, if it's not get it together. Um, but then secondly, just make sure that you've got that because you, you know, business, that's the reason that lawyers exist to also protect us, to give us second chances to, to work through fairness. So um, please make sure you look at that and see. And so um, very good. Um, what other, what other topics or highlights um, are people going to come across through the subcontractor Institute? Okay. Well, the subcontractor Institute, I basically um, have taught all the 20 chapters that are in the book. Um, and there is like 80, 80 free forms that are downloadable. The subcontractor is on a institute is on a mission to teach people about the dangers of subcontracts and just help them run better businesses. So I made all the, the courses are free. There's like 80 free downloadable forms. I also have just started. Um, you can upload your contract and have it reviewed. And so like we'll go through the contract. We'll highlight where these things are found and what they're what they mean. So, you know. And, and here's the thing is that after you do that a couple of times, you can start to spot them in the contracts that you see. So, you know, we can teach you how to do that. So it comes with a free 15 minute consultation uh, virtually to go over your contract and tell you, yes, this is okay. Yes, my job is to inform you of all the risk. And so that's what we're doing. And then you can decide whether that's worth taking or not, but knowing it's there. And the other thing is that when you get a subcontract to sign, if you're on a commercial project, it's supposed to be negotiated. And so when you don't, you're just paying 
full sticker price for a car, right? This is not, you're not going to give them everything they want. Because the, the other big one that we didn't, that I forgot to mention is the pay one paid clause, which is huge. It's not really so much in the residential one, but if you ever consider from going to residential commercial, know that every subcontract that's in existence right now that I've seen has a pay one paid clause means the general contractor doesn't have to pay you until they're paid by the owner. And you as a subcontractor have no control over that. So, you know, there's some language you can add to your contract. I have the language for free you can add uh, at Subcontractor Institute. Um, Again, you know, knowing your lien rights. But so that's everything that's at Subcontractor Institute now, but it will be evolving. We're going to start adding um, later this year the liens for all 50 states. And it's going to be just going to have the information there. Um, I really, I really want to help. And I really want to save businesses that, that um, they don't, if they don't do things right, they, they could go out of business. Yeah. And there's nothing worse than a business who is truly trying to do good work the right way the first time. And then having, you know, I don't mind if the wrong business is out of business, you know, I, I, and I really appreciate your heart there. And, and that actually just segued into my, one of my last points. So Carolyn also has a podcast. A lot of you drive around in vans and your trucks and you listen to this and we really appreciate that. And so if that's easier for you, um, I started there actually, and I, um, they were, crazy enough to have me on their podcast. Um, and that will be uh, one of their episodes, but I, I listened to her first one before I even um, agreed to do this. And I really liked it. I love that sticker price analogy. And that's smart for a contractor because if, if they're working with a good business, of course you start well. Things in life are negotiated, whether it's a salary or a vacation or, or a scope of work. And so I thought that was a really good point. I think that actually was one of the things that triggered me into this is smart. This is really cool. It's a little, it, it's, Carolyn's not just here to like, be a classroom educator you could learn on youtube she's showing you things about the industry that she clearly knows that are are, are good tips so consume the podcast that's where i would probably start it's not they do a great job um get the book on amazon.com again quit getting screwed very inexpensive easy to just click and put in your shopping cart have it in your truck so it's just easy to see if you're a reader and then lastly the subcontractor institute what a great way to go deeper with the book add yourself some contracts and if you don't want to, to spend money on an attorney, do as much of it on, on your own as you can. And then, because we're all do-it-yourself, if we can figure out how to frame a home, we can f- figure out a way to probably put some of these things in place. And then lastly, if you're in trouble or you're worried or you've got projects going or things, Carolyn represents people all over the country. So please reach out to their group and ask them for advice, ask them for help, get an estimate. You know, And um, I've had the chance of getting to know them very well over the last couple of weeks, just what they're up to. I'm a huge supporter of this movement um, for good businesses doing good things. So reach out to them. You know, They'd certainly be the ones I would call. So um, Carolyn, yeah, let's, uh, let, let's, let's keep this conversation going. And I, uh, I would love to keep watching the progress of the Institute and continue to keep pushing our clients that way. And um, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about today? Oh, awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and like I said, we're here for, you know, and the other mission that I'm on is not only to help the industry, but to take back some of the horrible things that people think about lawyers, because not all lawyers are that way. Um, right. And, you know, one of the hashtags I started like a couple of years ago is that lawyers don't suck. <laughs> and so, you know, a big part of that is our customer service. And really, we're yeah. really set up specifically for businesses in the construction industry to be your partner in business don't just come to us when you're in trouble come to us when you're not in trouble so we can help you not get in trouble Uh, and that's it's all about preventative we're also here if you get in trouble but we can be more effective on the front end that's amazing and honestly she you guys um carolyn and the team they they are what you see and uh i had a 
uh, dinner last night with my, you know, uh, estate lawyer and stuff, which is never fun things. And, and he said the best too. He's like, I'm here because I care about you. And I just want to help, help you guys make sure everything's good if things go bad. And I just think that's really important. And so, so many of us do have this, you know, stupid stereotypes and today in trades, we're all about busting down stereotypes. The future of trades is going to be professional. It's going to be bright and it's going to be a job that my two daughters are going to want to at least look at before they go be lawyers. So, um, <laughs> Thank you, Carolyn. Um, thank you to the team. Please, uh, please uh, um, give everyone my best. Um, again, everybody visit bigclips.com if you'd like to use some technologies and some more insights today in trades. Um, thanks, the Quick Getting Screwed crew and the Subcontractor Institute. And everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you so much.